Greetings once again in the name of Jesus, our Creator and Redeemer, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I'm Tim Moore, the Senior Evangelist of Lamb and Lion Ministries. Today we will wrap up our overview of the book of Genesis. The first book of the Bible informs our understanding of the world. It tells us how we got here, why our world is racked with sin, and how God's plan included a path for salvation from the very beginning. You might say that Genesis provides the basis for a Christian worldview. Our episode focusing on Genesis 1 and 2 highlighted Jesus Christ as the Creator. He was there in the beginning with God because He was God. We paused in Genesis 3 and 4 to understand how sin separates us from God and corrupts the entire creation. Thanks be to God we also saw that He promised a Messiah to free us from our sin. And last week we emphasized the full character of God. He is merciful and loving, but He is also holy and righteous and cannot countenance sin. The penalty for sin is death, and the wrath of God abides on everyone who rejects the salvation offered only through His Son, Jesus Christ. Today we're going to finish the book of Genesis by examining God's chosen people, the Jews. These descendants of Abraham were sons and daughters of Isaac, the child of promise, and Jacob, the man who wrestled with God and men and prevailed. God's covenant with Abraham was so important that God promised to bless those who blessed him and his offspring and curse those who cursed him. That ancient promise of God is still in effect today. We're very pleased to welcome Dr. Randall Price to our Christ in Prophecy episode today. Dr. Price, you have the distinction of being the first guest to appear via technology remote, but we are hopeful that many more will follow in your footsteps. Well, I'm pleased to be here, even though we're far apart. We're brought near by the Word of God and the love of Christ. So, let's get started. Sounds good. Well, Randall, some of our viewers might not be aware of the fact that uh, your background is an archaeologist as well as an expert in the Jewish people. In addition to serving as a professor at Liberty University in Judaic Studies, you're also the curator of the Bible Museum there, and that's a pretty impressive position. So have I gotten everything? Well, outside of Liberty, I have a ministry called World of the Bible Ministries. Uh, about 25, 30 years ago, we started this with the purpose of trying to bring to the word of the church the world of the Bible. Uh, because we live in a 21st century context, and we look at the Bible through Western eyes, it's very important to go back to the original context of Scripture to understand it in, in three ways. And we say we deal with the past, present, and prophetic world of the Bible. So we touch on some things like you do, but uh, basically we look at the, the past, the archaeological background, and I serve as an archaeologist, do archaeological projects, and we've been doing that for many, many years, primarily at the Dead Sea, connected with the Dead Sea Scrolls. I work with the present situation related to Israel, which is the Middle East conflict, to try to explain that and to make that uh, more understandable. Uh, to a present audience, especially a younger audience that, that uh, 
has moved away from support for Israel and an understanding of, of them uh, as the Bible says, not as social media says. And then, of course, the future, dealing with those prophetic passages, uh, which are bringing us all closer to the coming of our Lord Jesus. That's what we're all looking forward to, and that is the overriding theme of Christ in Prophecy. Of course, our focus today is on Genesis 12 through 50, a sweeping passage that sees Abraham's family expand considerably. Although Isaac had two sons, only one was given the birthright blessing. And Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel because he wrestled with God and man and persevered, became the namesake for the nation that followed. Yeah, and the purpose here is, is sweeping. We have God choosing and creating a people and then creating uh, from that people a nation. But he has to get that people as a people to, a, to the place. And the place right now uh, in the context of Genesis, is occupied by uh, Israel's enemies, by people who will ultimately face God's judgment. They're given over 400 years to get their act together. But when we come past Genesis and bring um, the sons of Abraham, 12 tribes, into the land of promise, uh, we form a nation, and from that nation, uh, everything is set in place to build on the wonderful messianic uh, promises, starting with the seed back in Genesis, concluding with the seed of David, uh, from which we now know the Messiah will come. Yes, sir. And it's also fascinating to me, quite frankly, that this group of people that God chose were not always that admirable. I mean, Jacob or Israel's sons, for example, they were quite a motley crew who eventually became the 12 patriarchs, but they weren't very impressive morally, were they? I think they're, they're simple people. And Abraham is probably one of those Gentile believers that came from the revelation through Noah. Uh, we see Melchizedek and others like this on the scene, but they're not seen too often, but they're there. And from there, he comes out of a pagan context uh, to follow the Lord and establish um, whatever God's purposes are in a land that is not his among the people who are not his. Uh, but the purpose is that, you know, there is no Bible yet. There's no given revelation, uh, just simple principles that have come down. And then what God reveals as we move on, Abraham is subject to his culture. Uh, that's why he can't figure out if God says you're going to be the father of a multitude, where that multitude is going to come from. Is it going to come through my efforts, through following local customs, adopting a, a son as an heir, or going through my my wife's handmaid, you know, what should I do? And God progressively reveals himself, but he's, he's limited to that. So some of the things that he experiences going down to Egypt or going to Philistine territory, um, what we would consider a lie about his wife uh, is, is simply uh, trying to get by the best he knows. Oh yeah. So he is a character like all of us. And that, that should humble us and help us to remember that God uh, doesn't choose the best, and and uh, those who have already performed, he he works through uh, mere creatures to bring about his will and conform them to that. Abraham in the and the passages in Genesis has ten tests, uh, everything from the test of his own faith to test of his family, uh, and you see that faith grow. But one thing I think is very important when it says in Genesis fifteen six that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned him for righteousness. We have to ask the question, what did Abraham believe? 
And there is uh, an understanding of faith going way back to Genesis 3.15, where the promise of, of a Redeemer is given, uh, a Redeemer who will come through a seed of the woman. Uh, it's very interesting when you come to the patriarchs that despite uh, other things about them, uh, they're following this promise. And when it comes to God's revealing this, someone like Sarah, uh, the seed comes through uh, Eve, but the seed comes through Sarah. Well, where else in the Bible do you see the woman is the one mentioned who is the, who brings forth the seed? The only other place you find is in the New Testament. It speaks about the birth of Jesus, and Mary says, by whom was born uh, Jesus. You know, it, it, Joseph is out of the picture. And we're, we're linking these things, and I think Abraham is at the center of it. He believes what he is given from God, which is about a redeeming Messiah. He seems that, sees that confirmed in Genesis 22. Uh, how great a faith do we have of someone who believes that God will even raise uh, his son from the dead if he goes through with what God has told him? So there are there's a clear picture of a strong faith along with simply someone who lives in the desert and gets by with what he knows to do. Abraham is a worthy exemplar for us today because he believed what God had revealed to him. And we also should believe God's testimony, whether about his act of creation or about his son, Jesus Christ. But let's shift our attention to Joseph, one of the most fascinating men in the Old Testament. His own brothers sold him into slavery. And his story could have ended there, but Joseph demonstrated great resilience. He got knocked down time after time, but he kept getting back up. What was his secret? I think that though he was a youth, he had, he was a youth of faith. Uh, we may not see it so much in his youth when he's having problems uh, tattling on his brothers or being his father's favorite uh, and just does maybe things that uh, incur their, um, their ire. But at the same time, uh, it's clear that he understands his purpose. He understands that God is calling him. Uh, whether it's arrogance or simply reporting um, in faith what God has revealed to him in terms of his future, the fact that his father and mother and brothers and all will bow down to him, uh, deals with the fact of, you know, God is going to use him as a deliverer, as a savior for his people. Uh, when we When we work backwards in the story, we see him saying, you know, to his brothers, it's not you who sent me here, it was God to bring about this present result to save many people alive. <clears throat> and the idea is that he's going to be, uh, he sees himself as being sent ahead of his people who are in uh, the land of Canaan to prepare a safe place for them to carry out their future destiny. And he, he's, he has forgiveness for his brothers, all these things are part of the story. Well, I have to say what he comes to Egypt with is, is what he has, because there's no one teaching him the Bible in Egypt. There's no one being a, a witness of faith to him in Egypt. He, he had to come with something already. And I think God develops and grows that. His response to suffering, unjustly accused. Uh, the fact that when he's offered temptation, he, he runs and says, how can I do this great sin against God? Um, most youth would give in at that point. You know, no one's looking. No one will know. He cares more about what the Lord's uh, in, in a land where no one else cares about those things. 
so <clears throat> I think we need to give him more credit, like we have to do all the patriarchs, despite the very human element that we see in them. They are people who have some divine revelation and are living up to what they know of it. And I think that uh, God is working with him and blesses him, obviously, is with him in Egypt. So uh, Joseph is a man of faith. And for that reason, uh, when we look at Joseph, we see many things in him that are exemplary of how we as believers should live and things even as we talk, may talk later about how he's a type of our Lord Jesus. Well, that's a beautiful way to say it. You know, three different times, just in chapter 39 of Genesis, it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. Life threw him many curveballs, but again and again, we're told that the Lord was with him. When Joseph re-encountered his brothers, he saw his own story from a godly perspective. He understood that he was a servant of the Lord wherever he was sent and whatever his circumstances. And that's a model for people today, I think. Well, wherever you are and whatever your circumstances, you can be a servant of the Lord if you're determined to follow him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, as we look at the patriarchs, each in their own turn had their struggles, but they overcame them. Uh, even Lot, when we look at Lot, you know, you think what a commendable fellow he is. No, I mean, he, he chooses to, to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. But in the end, it tells us in, in Second Peter that his righteous soul was vexed, that he uh, daily was uh, upset by the, the behavior of Sodom. And it tells us that um, when the angels come to find him, he's sitting in the evening at the gate of the city. Many people think that means that he, well, he was in a prominent place. He was one of the leaders. No, now, they reject him. They talk, talk, talk about him being an outsider. He was sent into the outside of the gate because at that time of the day, it was the only place he could get away from people and be on his own. Uh, I think that uh, when we look deeper into the lives of the patriarchs, there are really life lessons there that we can find that that uh, are built upon in the rest of Scripture, particularly with Abraham and Isaac. You see them used as examples of faith, and you see Abraham uh, spoken of over and over again and called the father of the faithful. Well, let's go back to Joseph for just a moment. This series focuses on Jesus in the Old Testament, and as you said, Joseph represents a type of Christ. How does his life prefigure that of Jesus? Well, the New Testament does not use Joseph as a type of Christ, but it doesn't use many things this way. And I think it does give us, with the fact that the other patriarchs uh, in, in type are used that way, uh, to, gives license to see Joseph that way. And, and it's almost inescapable. Now, Joseph is one who, from the very beginning, is loved uniquely by his father. He's like an only son. He's given the favoritism of an only son. But he's hated by his brothers as a result of that. And so in the same way, Jesus was uh, not understood by his earthly brothers. He was hated by his brethren, which are the Jewish people. When it comes time for Joseph to be uh, rejected, he is stripped of his garments as Jesus was. He sold for the price of a slave as Jesus was. He was condemned, though he was innocent. He was condemned with, with two criminals, by the way, and one of those criminals uh, was saved and one of those criminals was lost, if we think of it in the sense of one got delivered from prison and the other uh, was executed. Uh, at the same time, uh, in, in the big picture, Joseph suffered in the plan of God. Uh, he understood his suffering to be part of God's means to bring salvation for the Jewish people. Uh, there was only 70 of them that came out of, out of the land of Canaan into the land of Egypt. 
Egyptians did not care for Israelites or Hebrews, as they called them. They wouldn't even eat with them. Uh, and they put them in a separate place in the land of Goshen. And there they were able to develop into the nation God wanted them to be without the difficulties of intermarriage and problems they would have had in the land of Canaan. So Joseph led the way. He's, he brought about the salvation ultimately of God's plan for his people. The same way the Lord Jesus came, he came, he suffered for us. He was the one who, through his suffering, brought about our salvation as we put our trust in him. So there's a lot of parallels in that life. And, and obviously, as God is orchestrating the life of Joseph, he's doing that. So we won't miss those points and be able to see that he's in control. He's starting with that seed promise way back at the beginning of Genesis, and he's fulfilling it as he goes through. And Isaac, your seed shall be called. Well, what is the seed that will be called? It's the seed that will bless all of the nations of the earth. Well, who is that? Ultimately, that is going to be the Messiah. And Joseph fits in very well with that uh, preview of the Messiah. Well, very good. Uh, you know, sadly, many Christians for the past even 2,000 years have, in some churches even today, have been taught that God has washed his hands of the Jewish people and that the promises given to them throughout scriptures have been transferred over to the church. This chosen people has been cast aside. What would you say? Well, I tell people I believe in replacement theology. I believe that God is going to replace the church with Israel. <laughs> but that... Uh, isn't always understood by me. So let me explain uh, very clearly. If you read your Bible, Romans chapter 9, uh, a verse where Paul is talking about the privileges God gave in, to those who he chose and the purpose for which he chose them. In Romans chapter 9 and verses, uh, uh, let's take just verse 4, for instance, it says, who are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenant and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises? Whose are the fathers we've just been talking about from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is overall God bless forever. The point is, if you look at this, this is all in present tense. It's, it's present possession. These Israelites still have the adoption of sons. They still have the covenants. Nothing has changed. These covenants are still in effect. They are moving on because the fulfillment which God promised has not yet been fully uh, realized. That won't be realized till we come to the millennial kingdom. And we have uh, aspects of fulfilled along the way. The church participates in those blessings. Uh, that's, that's a wonderful thing. In fact, we come to Romans chapter 15, and uh, let's see here. It's... Um, going to be verses 8 and 9. He says, I say that Christ, the Messiah, has become a servant to the circumcision, that is to the Jewish people, on behalf of the truth of God. What is the truth of God? To confirm the promises given to the fathers. In other words, Christ didn't come to replace those promises. He came to fulfill those promises. And he came to fulfill them first and foremost with the Jewish people. And then it says, and for the Gentiles uh, to glorify God for his mercy. Romans 9 will talk about how he extended mercy to Israel, he extended mercy to the Gentiles, and then God is able to graft his people back in, and he will have mercy upon all, and so all Israel will be saved. And it will talk about uh, what his full plan. So nothing has been completed until God completes it. Uh, the land of promise is still the land of promise. It may not be possessed and enjoyed as it was intended to be enjoyed, 
with those who are in a, in a right relationship with God, but they're in the right place. And some are enjoying it, those who have faith, but their enemies still on every side. That won't be uh, that won't be corrected until we get the Messiah to come and put down everything under his feet, end all of this, these rival kingdoms, set up his kingdom, and then he will be the Lord over all the earth. And these are the type of promises that were made to Israel, and they've yet to be fulfilled. Amen. Well, Dr. Price, we are so grateful for your time and your insights today and helping us to understand the calling placed on Abraham and God's chosen people as revealed in Genesis and tied together with our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then the continuation of His promise as evidenced by Paul and the others throughout the New Testament. So thank you. I hope that we can include you on another episode of Christ in Prophecy sometime again very soon. Thank you, Tim. Dr. Price, your whole life sounds like an Indiana Jones adventure. How can people find out about your research on Noah's Ark? We have a website, worldofthebible.com, and at worldofthebible.com you'll also find more information on this. Over the summer, there have been, like, protests and demonstrations in astronomical numbers standing with Palestine. But then just a few days ago, there were funds allocated to continue backing Israel, which hurts my heart because it's an ethnic genocide. This is about the fact that your voice, your perspective, your experience, your truth should not be suppressed. The clip you just saw sums up a tragic truth about the cultural moment we are living in. An American student, steeped in the propaganda that has permeated her education, took the opportunity when the Vice President of the United States visited her classroom to protest the recent congressional approval of aid to Israel. Her misguided reason? Because she thinks Israel ongoingly commits ethnic genocide. You almost don't know where to begin when pushing back against this particular lie. We know that the boycott, divest, and sanction movement is embraced on American university campuses. What most people don't realize is that this satanic movement is funded and promoted by terrorist organizations like Hamas. It is designed to separate Israel from its base of support in America, and it is working. Genocide is defined as an active effort to eliminate a people group based on their ethnic, racial, or religious heritage. Turkey pursued genocide against the Armenians. China has aggressively applied genocide toward the Uyghur people. The Hutus committed genocide against the Tutsi people of Rwanda. And of course, Nazi Germany attempted to eliminate the Jews in the infamous genocide known as the Holocaust. Wikipedia lists 37 recognized genocides in recent history, including two that are ongoing today. In a cowardly nod to the power of the Chinese Communist Party to suppress truth in the Western press, its treatment of the Uyghurs is absent. Israel is not listed because there is no genocide occurring there. In spite of this fact, Kamala Harris affirmed this girl's misguided understanding by calling it your truth. In a classic statement of woke illogic, she said that it is important that this girl's truth, which is actually devoid of truth regarding Israeli treatment of Palestinians, be heard and respected as one of many equally valid truths. Such foolish pandering undermines the very concept of truth. Paul spoke of men exchanging truth for a lie. Isaiah declared, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Jesus said, For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my words. Pilate's scoffing response was, 
what is truth? When the Vice President of the United States affirms the lie that each individual is entitled to their own truth, she is as unacquainted with truth as Pontius Pilate. That is not a political statement, it is a statement of fact and a sad commentary on this present darkness. Make sure you know the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What a powerful demonstration of the delusion that has permeated the world regarding the Jewish people. God's promises are still in effect, and yet so many people just want to cast the Jews onto the trash heap of history. That's why the truth Randall Price shared with us is so important. I love the way Randall turned the idea of replacement theology on its head when he said that Israel will replace the church. <laughs> That's right. Paul said that Israel did not stumble so as to fall, but that through their transgression, salvation could come to the Gentiles. For about 1900 years, the church has been filled primarily with Gentile believers. But Jewish people are once again embracing Yeshua as the Messiah, and in the fullness of time, Scripture says that the remnant of Israel that is left will turn to Jesus and embrace Him as their Messiah. So the rest of the verse you cited, Nathan, in Romans has Paul asserting that the Gentiles should make the Jewish people jealous. In other words, instead of scorning them or persecuting them or cursing them, we should be blessing them, mm -hmm. but also demonstrating the blessing of a relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in such a way that they are jealous and want that same relationship for themselves. Well, God has certainly not washed His hands of the Jewish people. We have to constantly emphasize God's Word because so many, including our own Vice President, seems to be ignorant of that truth. On that note, we want to offer you a wonderful resource that focuses on God's promises to Israel. For a donation of $20 or more, we'll be glad to send you our Israel in Bible Prophecy DVD. It will expand your understanding of God's prophetic plan for the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Since this episode focused on the span of time from Abraham to Joseph, we'd place this section of Genesis somewhere about 37 to 3900 years ago. And take note, these were real historical figures, not myths or legends as Bible scoffers claim. They were referenced by Jesus and Paul and the other writers of the New Testament. For those of you tracking our key verse from each segment, there are several we could choose from today, but Tim and I have landed on Genesis 12, 2 through 3 and 15, 6. Even as we identify key verses, I hope you caught something that Randall mentioned that has great application to each of us with children or grandchildren. He pointed out that Joseph was a young man when he was sold into slavery by his brothers, about 17 years old according to Genesis 37.3. The only faith he had then was what he had already been taught, and yet he was firmly grounded in the Lord. He knew enough to flee temptation, understanding that laying with Potiphar's wife would be a great evil and sin against the Lord. That is why the Lord was with Joseph. Are we rooting our children so firmly in the Lord that by age 17 they will not wither and fade? Well said, Tim. That is a challenge every parent and grandparent should undertake prayerfully and personally. Do not delegate the training up of your child to someone else. As parents, it's our responsibility. Well, this week we covered 29 chapters of Genesis and spanned five generations from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob or Israel to Joseph and his brothers and their children. Next week, we're going to move into Exodus. Well, what chapter should our viewers uh, read to get prepared? Well, given the nature of Exodus, we plan to spend two weeks digging into this pivotal book. Next week, we'll highlight Moses, the deliverer sent by God to save his people from bondage. The following episode will focus on the Passover itself. That gives you a preview of what's coming, but to answer your question, 
I'd encourage our viewers to read all of Exodus, looking for signs of Jesus throughout that important book. All right, folks, you've got a whole week to read the 40 chapters of Exodus, but that's less than six chapters a day or about 10 minutes per day. Look for signs pointing to Jesus and look for his presence in the life of the one raised up to deliver the Hebrews from Egyptian bondage. Until next week, this is Nathan Jones. And Tim Moore saying, look up, be watchful for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who said, before Abraham was, I am, is drawing near. Godspeed.